Section 17 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 7, Great Women, by John Lord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Han. Hannah Moore, Part 1. A.D. 1745 to 1833. Education of Woman. One of the useful and grateful tasks of historians and biographers is to bring forward to the eye of every new generation of men and women those illustrious characters who made a great figure in the days of their grandfathers and grandmothers, yet who have nearly faded out of sight in the rush of new events and interests, and the rise of new stars in the intellectual firmament. Extraordinary genius or virtue or services may be forgotten for a while, but are never permanently hidden. There is always somebody to recall them to our minds, whether the interval be short or long the italian historian vico wrote a book which attracted no attention for nearly two hundred years in fact was forgotten but was made famous by the discoveries of niebuhr in the vatican library and became the foundation of modern philosophical history some great men pass out of view for a generation or two owing to the bitterness of contemporaneous enemies and detractors and others because of the very unanimity of admirers and critics leading to no opposition we weary both of praise and censure and when either praise or censure stops the object of it is apparently forgotten for a time except by the few who are learned yet i repeat real greatness or goodness is never completely hidden it reappears with new lustre when brought into comparison with those who are embarked in the same cause thus the recent discussions on the education of women recall to our remembrance the greatest woman who lived in england in the latter part of the last century hannah moore who devoted her long and prosperous and honorable life to this cause both by practical teaching and by writings which arrested the attention and called forth the admiration of the best people in europe and america she forestalled nearly everything which has been written in our times pertaining to the life of woman both at school and in society and she evinced in her writings on this great subject an acuteness of observation a good sense a breadth and catholicity of judgment a richness of experience and a high moral tone which have never been surpassed she reminds us of the wise madame de montenon in her school at st cyr the pious and philanthropic mary lyon at the mount holyoke seminary and the more superficial and worldly but truly benevolent and practical emma willard at her institution in troy the last two mentioned ladies being the pioneers of the advanced education for young ladies in such colleges as vassar wellesley and smith and others i could mention the wisdom tact and experience of madame de montenon the first great woman who gave a marked impulse to female education in our modern times were not lost on hannah moore who seems to have laid down the laws best adapted to develop the mind and character of woman under a high civilization England seems to have been a century in advance of America, both in its wisdom and folly, and the same things in London life were ridiculed and condemned with unsparing boldness by Hannah Moore, which today, in New York, have called out the vigorous protests of Dr. Morgan Dix. The educators of our age and country cannot do better than learn wisdom from the strictures on the modern system of female education, as well as the thoughts on the manners of the great which appeared from the pen of hannah moore in the latter part of the eighteenth century in which she appears as both moralist and teacher getting inspiration not only from her exalted labors but from the friendship and conversation of the great intellectual oracles of her age 
i have not read of any one woman in england for the last fifty years i have not heard or known of any one woman in the united states who ever occupied the exalted position of hannah moore or who exercised so broad and deep an influence on the public mind in the combined character of a woman of society author and philanthropist there have been since her day more brilliant queens of fashion greater literary geniuses and more prominent philanthropists but she was enabled to exercise an influence superior to any of them by her friendship with people of rank by her clear and powerful writings and by her lofty piety and morality which blazed amid the vices of fashionable society one hundred years ago it is well to dwell on the life and labors of so great and good a woman who has now become historical but i select her especially as the representative of the grandest moral movement of modern times that which aims to develop the mind and soul of woman and give to her the dignity of which she has been robbed by paganism and philistinism i might have selected some great woman nearer home and our own time more intimately connected with the profession of educating young ladies but i prefer to speak of one who is universally conceded to have rendered great service to her age and country it is doubly pleasant to present hannah moore because she had none of those defects and blemishes which have often detracted from the dignity of great benefactors she was about as perfect a woman as i have read of and her virtues were not carried out to those extremes of fanaticism which have often marked illustrious saints from the want of common sense or because of visionary theories strict and consistent as a moralist she was never led into any extravagances or fanaticisms stern even as a disciplinarian she did not prescribe healthy and natural amusements strong-minded if i may use a modern contemptuous phrase she never rebelled against the ordinances of nature or the laws dictated by inspiration she was a model woman beautiful yet not vain witty yet never irreverent independent yet respectful to authority exercising private judgment yet admired by bishops learned without pedantry hospitable without extravagance fond of the society of the great yet spending her life among the poor alive to the fascinations of society yet consecrating all her energies of mind and body to the good of those with whom she was brought in contact as capable of friendship as paula as religious as madame guillon as charming in conversation as recamier as practical as elizabeth as broad and tolerant as fenelon who was himself half woman in his nature as the most interesting men of genius are apt to be nothing cynical or bitter or extravagant or contemptuous appears in any of her writings most of which were published anonymously from humility as well as sensitiveness vanity was a stranger to her as well as arrogance and pride embarking in great enterprises she never went outside the prescribed sphere of woman masculine in the force and vigor of her understanding she was feminine in all her instincts proper amiable and gentle a woman whom everybody loved and everybody respected even to kings and queens hannah moore was born in a little village near bristol seventeen forty five and her father was the village schoolmaster he had been well educated and had large expectations but he was disappointed and was obliged to resort to this useful but irksome way of getting a living he had five daughters of whom hannah was the fourth as a girl she was very precocious in mind as well as beautiful and attractive in her person she studied latin when only eight years of age her father it would seem was a very sensible man and sought to develop the peculiar talents which each of his daughters possessed without the usual partiality of parents who are apt to mistake inclination for genius 
three of the girls had an aptitude for teaching and opened a boarding school in bristol when the oldest was only twenty the school was a great success and soon became fashionable and ultimately famous to this school the early labors of hannah moore were devoted and she soon attracted attention by her accomplishments especially in the modern languages in which she conversed with great accuracy and facility but her talents were more remarkable than her accomplishments and eminent men sought her society and friendship who in turn introduced her to their own circle of friends by all of whom she was admired thus she gradually came to know the celebrated dean tucker of gloucester cathedral ferguson the astronomer then lecturing at bristol the elder sheridan also giving lectures on oratory in the same city garrick on the eve of his retirement from the stage dr johnson goldsmith reynolds mrs montague in whose salon the most distinguished men of the age assembled as the headquarters of fashionable society edmund burke then member from bristol in the house of commons gibbon alderman cadell the great publisher bishop porteus rev john newton and sir james stonehouse an eminent physician with all these stars she was on intimate terms visiting them at their houses received by them all as more than an equal for she was not only beautiful and witty but had earned considerable reputation for her poetry garrick particularly admired her as a woman of genius and performed one of her plays percy twenty successive nights at drury lane writing himself both the prologue and the epilogue it must be borne in mind that when first admitted to the choicest society of london at the houses not merely of literary men but of great statesmen and nobles like lord camden lord spencer the duke of newcastle lord pembroke lord granville and others she was teaching in a girls school at bristol and was a young lady under thirty years of age it was as a literary woman when literary women were not so numerous or ambitious as they are now that hannah moore had the entree into the best society under the patronage of the greatest writers of the age she was a literary lion before she was twenty-five she attracted the attention of sheridan by her verses when she was scarcely eighteen her search after happiness went through six editions before the year seventeen seventy five her tragedy of percy was translated into french and german before she was thirty and she realized from the sale of it six hundred pounds the fatal falsehood was also much admired but did not meet the same success being cruelly attacked by envious rivals her base bleu was praised by johnson in unmeasured terms it was for her poetry that she was best known from seventeen seventy five to seventeen eighty five the period when she lived in the fashionable and literary world and which she adorned by her wit and brilliant conversation not exactly a queen of society since she did not set up a salon but was only an honored visitor at the houses of the great a brilliant and beautiful woman whom everybody wished to know i will not attempt any criticism on those numerous poems they are not much read and valued in our time they are all after the style of johnson and pope the measured and artificial style of the eighteenth century in imitation of the ancient classics and of french poetry in which the wearisome rhyme is the chief peculiarity smooth polished elaborate but pretty much after the same pattern and easily imitated by schoolgirls the taste of this age created by burns byron wordsworth browning tennyson longfellow and others is very different but the poems of hannah moore were undoubtedly admired by her generation and gave her great eclat and considerable pecuniary emolument 
and yet her real fame does not rest on those artificial poems respectable as they were one hundred years ago but on her writings as a moralist and educator during this period of her life from seventeen seventy five to seventeen eighty five she chiefly resided with her sisters in bristol but made long visits to london and to the houses of famous or titled personages in a worldly point of view these years were the most brilliant but not the most useful period of her life at first she was intoxicated by the magnificent attentions she received and had an intense enjoyment of cultivated society it was in these years she formed the most ardent friendships of her life of all her friends she seems to have been most attached to garrick the idol of society a general favorite wherever he chose to go a man of irreproachable morals and charming conversational powers at whose house and table no actor or actress was ever known to be invited except in one solitary instance from which it would appear that he was more desirous of the attentions of the great than of the sympathy and admiration of the people of his own profession it is not common for actors to be gifted with great conversational powers any more than for artists as a general thing to be well-read people especially in history hannah moore was exceedingly intimate with both garrick and his wife and his death in seventeen seventy nine saddened and softened his great worshipper after his death she was never present at any theatrical amusement she would not go to the theatre to witness the acting of her own dramas not even to see mrs siddons when she appeared as so brilliant a star in fact after garrick's death miss moore partially abandoned fashionable society having acquired a disgust of its heartless frivolities and seductive vices with the death of garrick a new era opened in the life of hannah moore although for the succeeding five years she was still a frequent visitor in the houses of those she esteemed both literary lions and people of rank it would seem during this period that dr johnson was her warmest friend whom she ever respected for his lofty moral nature and before whom she bowed down in humble worship as an intellectual dictator he called her his child sometimes he was severe on her when she differed from him in opinion or when caught praising books which he as a moralist abhorred like the novels of fielding and smollett for the only novelist he could tolerate was richardson once when she warmly expiated in praise of the jansenists the overbearing autocrat exclaimed in a voice of thunder madame let me hear no more of this don't quote your popish authorities to me i want none of your popery but seeing that his friend was overwhelmed with the shock he gave her his countenance instantly changed his lip quivered and his eyes filled with tears he gently took her hand and with the deepest emotion exclaimed child never mind what i have said follow true piety wherever you find it this anecdote is a key to the whole character of johnson interesting and uninteresting for this rough tyrannical dogmatist was also one of the tenderest of men and had a soul as impressible as that of a woman the most intimate woman friend it would seem that hannah ever had was mrs garrick both before and after the death of her husband and the wife of garrick was a roman catholic hannah moore usually spent several months with this accomplished and warm-hearted woman at her house in hampton generally from march to july this was often her home during the london season after which she resided in bristol with her sisters who made a fortune by their boarding school after hannah had entered into the literary field she supported herself by her writings which until seventeen eighty five were chiefly poems and dramas now almost forgotten but which were widely circulated and admired in her day and by which she kept her position in fashionable and learned society 
after the death of garrick as we have said she seemed to have acquired a disgust of the gay and fashionable society which at one time was so fascinating she found it frivolous vain and even dull she craved sympathy and intellectual conversation and knowledge she found neither at a fashionable party only outside show gay dresses and unspeakable follies no conversation for how could there be either the cultivation of friendship or conversation in a crowd perchance of empty people for the most part as to london says she i shall be glad to get out of it everything is great and vast and late and magnificent and dull i very seldom go to these parties and i always repent when i do my distaste of these scenes of insipid magnificence i have not words to tell every faculty but the sight is starved and that has a surfeit i like conversation parties of the right sort whether of four persons or forty but it is impossible to talk when two or three hundred people are continually coming in and popping out or nailing themselves to a card-table conceive said she of the insipidity of two or three hundred people all dressed in the extremity of fashion painted as red as bacchanals poisoning the air with perfumes treading on each other's dresses not one in ten able to get a chair when fainting with weariness i never now go to these things when i can possibly avoid it and stay when there as few minutes as i can thus she wrote as early as seventeen eighty two she went through the same experience as madame recamier learning to prefer a small and select circle where conversation was the chief charm especially when this circle was composed only of gifted men and women in this incipient disgust of gay and worldly society chiefly because it improved neither her mind nor her morals because it was stupid and dull as it generally is to people of real culture and high intelligence she seems to have been gradually drawn to the learned prelates of the english church like dr porteus bishop of chester afterwards of london the bishop of st asaph and dr holm then dean of canterbury she became very intimate with wilberforce and rev john newton while she did not give up her friendship for horace walpole pepys and other lights of the social world about this time seventeen eighty five she retired to cowslip green a pretty cottage ten miles from bristol and spent her time in reading writing and gardening the country with its green pastures and still waters called her back to those studies and duties which are most ennobling and which produce the most lasting pleasure in this humble retreat she had many visitors from among her illustrious friends she became more and more religious without entirely giving up society corresponding with the eminent men and women she visited especially mrs montague dr porteus mrs boscawen mr pepys and rev john newton in the charming seclusion of cowslip green she wrote her treatise on the manners of the great the first of that series in which she rebuked the fashions and follies of the day it had an immense circulation and was published anonymously this very popular work was followed in seventeen ninety by a volume on an estimate of the religion of the fashionable world which produced a still deeper sensation among the great and was much admired the bishop of london Porteous, was full of its praises so was john newton although he did not think that any book could wean the worldly from their pleasures end of section seventeen